Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson. A lot to get to today, mostly looking at our preseason predictions, some of our preseason prognostications. What do we feel good about? Where were we wrong after two weeks? Yes, that is absolutely overreaction territory, but I would say that we have some evidence already that suggests that some of our preseason hunches are wrong, and we've also seen some evidence already that says, hey, we might have been uh, ahead of the curve on something, injuries and other aspects to that as well. We're going to dive into a lot of that, plus... Uh, you know, Bud hits you with that instant reaction, including some of the top candidates for replacing Clay Helton at USC. We want to open up the table before we get out of here and be able to just get everyone's sense of where we're at with this job, what our expectations are for the search, something that honestly is going to be a, a conversation for the entire season, at least until what, December? Unless they go hire Bob Stoops or Chris Peterson like next week and just let him, you know, go ahead and uh, get started right away. <laughs> But we'll get into uh, we'll get into all that just a little bit later. So, for those of you who enjoyed the Win Totals Locks podcast, and many many of you did, uh, if you're watching on YouTube.com/slash/Cover3, we'll be able to uh, call up the Locks doc so that we can uh, analyze this. And if it's okay with y'all, I-, I wanted to start with some of the teams that we had either agreements, disagreements, you know, the the picks that had everybody involved. So I want to begin with the NC State Wolfpack. We were in total uh, lock unity. No, not lock unity. Lock infinity on the NC State over six. We had lock infinity on the Vanderbilt over three. Now, NC State is off to a one and one start. Vanderbilt also off to a one and one start. The Commodores picking up a win uh, against Colorado State after losing its FCS opener. NC State blowing USF out of the water, then following that up with an egg being laid uh, against Mississippi State the following week. So since all four of us are involved in these two picks, which one do you feel more confident about? We need wins in both categories. We need NC State to not let this loss define the Wolfpack season. Let one loss become two, as the saying goes. And for Vanderbilt, we uh, given up the FCS game was not part of my calculations. <laughs> so which one of these two, NC State or Vanderbilt, are we feeling better about uh, as we proceed in week three and beyond? It's easy, right? I mean, this is really Vanderbilt. simple exercise. It's Vanderbilt. Oh, really? It's Vanderbilt? You feel better about that? I'm just kidding. I mean, they do have UConn. UConn's a lock, so they got two. Then all you need is one more. Um, it starts Saturday night with David Shaw and Stanford in a letdown spot. 100%. Yeah. And I don't know, like, man, we overreact to, like, upsets. And clearly USC was, like, overreaction central with firing Clay Helton. I think it was just they wanted to do that. They found the opportunity. Like, any like, in Jacksonville State being four state, it's awful. Toledo almost beaten. Like, there, and then you're like, oh, this team's no good. Teams play down all the time. You know, like, it happens. Like, bad games happen. How do you still feel at the root? Like I, Vanderbilt, it's in Nashville. Maybe they're fired up. Maybe they come out and play with some more confidence. I'm not completely sold uh, that they don't have a chance in this game. But as far as this question goes, I still feel really good about NC State. When you circled this game, this schedule at the beginning of the season, I think we probably would have pegged Mississippi State as a toss-up game. I don't think that's a game any of us said, oh, yeah, that's a win, like chalk it up. I still think NC State's going to make their hay in the uh, against the ACC opponents. I, I agree with Danny on, on, on that point. Um, 
I have NC State power rated pretty pretty similarly to what I had, you know, power rated prior, right? Um, you know, maybe more of like a top thirty-ish team than a top twenty team, but not a, not a massive downgrade. They outgained Mississippi State on a yards per play perspective. They did not execute on passing downs, which was really their death knell in that game. Um, like a zero percent success rate for a lot of the game when, when they got behind the stick. So I was disappointed in how Tim Beck and his offense there played that for NC State. I thought they would take a step forward so far in the passing game. I haven't seen it. Um, they also gave up a kick return touchdown, which good job. Open the State. game. Which you if open you, the game. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you believe in the the voodoo and the hoodoo of NC State stuff and the, the way they say it around here, they have another word for stuff. It, I mean, it's like that's what you do. You trip and fall on your face. It is Charlie Brown in the football. It is stepping on the rake. Like in these spots – NC State does not have a lot of experience. In fact, the one game that NC State can hold its hat on for the Dave Doran era is when Notre Dame came in the middle of an actual hurricane. This and Brian, the Brian Kelly, Kelly hurricane game. Yeah. yeah, Brian Kelly actually decided to throw the ball forty times in the middle of a hurricane, and NC State was able to win. I think seven to three, and that is like the most high-profile non-conference victory for NC State in the Dave Doran era. Now, the one reason why I'm much more confident in NC State, other than the fact that Vandy did blow it to an FCS team, which they almost certainly had to win if, if they're going to hit this over. I think Vandy could still push. Correct. They're not going to go over, I don't think, at, with an FCS loss. Which of these teams I'm about to read off on NC State's schedule do you feel are better than we thought they were in the preseason? Clemson, Louisiana Tech, Boston College, who, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw it. I think we talked about it on yesterday's episode. Uh, Phil Dracovic uh, is out most likely for the year, but definitely for a while. Uh, and the backup, I did get some DMs on this. It's pronounced Grossell. Uh, so I I guess we had some official clarification on that. So uh, he's like an immune system. He grows yes. cells. To he is growing cells. Yep. Uh, Miami, Louisville, Florida State, Wake Forest, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Syracuse and North Carolina are any of those teams on NC State's schedule looking better than they did in the preseason? No, no. So I've actually increased my win projection for NC State despite the fact that they they lost to Mississippi State. I think this schedule just got a whole lot easier based on what we've seen. Yeah, like I the reason I was on NC State before the season was I projected them to be closer to eight wins than six. So it seemed like a really obvious play for me. And this Mississippi State loss was not entirely, as far as my calculations were concerned. This was very much well within the likely range of outcomes when I took the over, so I'm not really deterred by that NC State loss, whereas with Fandy, like East Tennessee State was one of the wins. So as soon as they lost that game, that win total became in jeopardy. But I don't think, like Bud says, I think they could still push, and I think this week's game against Stanford will be huge, but you know, they still get UConn coming up. At South Carolina, doesn't look like it's going to be an incredibly difficult game because South Carolina has not looked particularly impressive. And so, I mean, I, I still think there's a decent chance they can get to three and maybe four if they win, if they beat Stanford this week. Four is tougher, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see it. Um, I, I could see three if they can pull a win off, off, off against Stanford. Um, they have to travel to Tennessee end of the year. Who knows what Tennessee looks like then, I guess. Um, we shall see. Our boy Chip booted out of StreamYard. We'll effort to get him back. Do you guys have a spreadsheet up that you can see? Because yeah. I do not. I do. Yeah. Uh, Tom, you want to you want to take it? I, I know Chip wanted to go over some lock fights and uh, and lock agreements that we had. We I think we hit the agreements first. Well, we did lock Infinity, so we'll move to the lock Unities instead. How are we feeling about Illinois? Over three and a half following Illinois' losses to UTSA and Virginia. Neutral, basically. Um, you know, I, I had them projected to go one and two in that stretch. And I still bet the over. So, uh, you know, about about neutral. I mean, I, I kind of thought they would beat UTSA and lose to Nebraska, but I didn't think they were going to go on the road and beat UVA. I'm with you. I thought one and one is about where they would split these couple games. Uh, or excuse me, I thought they'd be one and two, the same spot. I think I'll be able to tell you a lot more after I see Virginia this weekend in North Carolina. Like yeah. Virginia, because I think Virginia is pretty good. Like I watched, yeah. the game was the early <laughs> kick, 11 a.m. kick. So I got to see a lot of it. Brandon Armstrong looked really solid. Like this UVA team might've been a team that everybody's sleeping on. We saw Virginia Tech, what they did. If they can play tight, 
with North Carolina. And if they beat them, then all of a sudden you're thinking, man, like it's, it's not that awful of a loss for Illinois. So I still feel probably the same way I did before about Illinois. I, I will say, like, what I don't know how Virginia is going to do as far as its final record at the end of the season. But if you're just if you're looking for a team that's going to be fun to watch all year, Virginia is going to be like a good time. You're going to enjoy watching Virginia games. They do some really fun stuff. I, I'm kind of with you guys. I, I'm not completely jumping off ship here. The UTSA win would have obviously been a huge boost to us after they beat Nebraska to start the year. But if you look at the Big Ten and how things have gone, I mean, they've still got a game against Charlotte coming up in early October, which I would think Illinois is probably going to win, although I'm not going to give it to them. Uh, I think Maryland on Friday night is winnable, although I'm not incredibly optimistic about it. But Brandon Peters is back and is starting. And then there is the Rutgers game and Rutgers is two and zero. But as we've gone over, it's not like they've looked like a dynamite team while doing so. They've just been in some funky situations. And you look at the big rest of the Big Ten West. It's like the Wisconsin Penn State games. No, those those aren't happening. But neither is Iowa on the road in all likelihood. But Northwestern at the end of the year is a game that Illinois has had a lot of difficulty with in recent seasons. But from what we've seen of Northwestern so far this year, it doesn't strike me as a game Illinois can't win. So I'm not totally out on our chances there. And, you know, Minnesota's a dog at Colorado. Like, I wouldn't also not put Minnesota in the unwinnable category, right? Like, like yeah. Minnesota has not shown me they were really good in 2019. They have not, over like the last year and so far this year, they haven't shown me that they're like a team that can be trusted. Really, I, I, Illinois could beat Minnesota. I'm not saying they'll be favored, but it's possible. Hey, Chip, when you were gone, we looked over the NC State schedule, and we asked, "Do any of these teams, uh, do any of these teams look better on the remaining schedule than they did in the preseason?" Is Chip frozen? I think so. Yeah, that or he's really in deep pontification. A of, yeah, a hell of a deep thought. <laughs> that's a great. That is a great grab right, well, right there. Yeah. Uh, our other our other lock unity on the win totals was the Auburn under seven and a half. Auburn mm. is now off to a two and oh start. It beat the hell out of uh Akron, Akron. was it? Yeah, it was yeah. It put up sixty on Akron last week. It, it played Alcorns or Alabama and state. Alabama State beat them sixty two to nothing. So this is an Auburn offense that is basically averaging sixty one points per game. Are they an unstoppable juggernaut? Is our underdoomed bud? <laughs> Papa, can I just reveal to the listeners yes. a little text that we got to the group thread that said, hey, guys, I think Auburn might be good. Was that it or was it their offense might be good? I, I forget the specifics to the crew, but bud was one of the ones who was more negative on Auburn. Are you are you having second thoughts? No, uh, because... Auburn had like 10 yards of play against Akron's defense and they looked pretty buttoned up. And it's like, oh, that's cool. And then Temple went to Akron last weekend with its backup quarterback and had eight yards of play. So I'm like, hmm, okay. So Akron on the plains allows 10 yards of play. Akron at home to Temple's backup allows eight yards of play. Uh, look, I, if you have changed your opinion materially on Auburn after two games against Akron and an FCS team, <laughs> I really want to know why. Like to me, this this just remains completely neutral. The only opinion that would have changed is that they had totally struggled against Auburn or against Akron, and I would have said uh, this is this is kind of funky. The remainder of their schedule is sort of up in the air to me. So at LSU looks much more winnable uh, than it was. We talked yesterday on the the live mailbag about how LSU is uh, flying under the radar right now because of who they played last week, but they only had four point six yards of play against McNeese State, like that. I don't think it's going to end well for Orgeron there this year if they don't get things fixed in a big way. That offense is not looking good. Um, but at Arkansas now looks more difficult than it did prior, and they got to go play that game right after they play Georgia. Um, at AM, who knows if Haynes King is back? Um, but I, I still feel that seven and five uh, is more likely than eight and four here. Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's like everybody baked in the wins over. Akron and Alabama State when they were still coming up this under. I, I think we're going to have a much better idea of what Auburn is on Saturday night. Like if they go to Penn State and they win that game or they just look really strong in a loss, then it's like, okay, this might be a team that's going to be capable of getting date wins. But if they go up there and they just don't look very good and you look at Penn State in comparison to a lot of the teams that are left on their schedule, I think it's fair to assume they'll probably struggle quite a bit down the stretch. I think that's fair. 
Um, where do you want to go now, Tom? How about our? Uh, we can go to our lock fight. Yes. <laughs> You're on the Bowling Green over one and a half. I am on the Bowling Green under one and a half. Convince me right now that I haven't already won this. Okay. Uh, I did not think the Bowling Green was going to beat Tennessee or South Alabama, uh, but Bowling Green put together a, and you got to look, you got to celebrate the small wins here if you're Bowling Green. Bowling Green had multiple drives against Tennessee where they had more than two first downs in a drive. Mm hmm. To me, that's a victory for Bowling Green. They were absolutely terrible last year. They also played South Alabama to within a field goal, which means they covered, right? Like they're so far, Bowling Green is two and zero against the spread. They're they are better than I thought they would be, and I'm saying that as somebody who bet they're over. Uh, I really need them to get this Murray State game this weekend. If they drop Murray State, Tom wins, basically. Yeah, that's it's the game of the week. It like, is as far as I'm concerned. No, I'm I'm actually I'm kind of with you. I'm worried about this one because, like you said, I do think that the Bowling Green that I've seen through the first two weeks they they're not good, but they look better than they did last like they're year. They're not sure. they're not in serious consideration for worst team. Yeah, they're, in the country, they're a bad team, but they're like a bad team that's capable of beating other bad teams whereas the last few years like you said it's like there wasn't anybody i was going to pick bowling green to be like even if they were playing murray state i'd be like eh, i don't know that's that's really not something i'm just going to give them but you look at the schedule i think i think they should beat murray state this week at minnesota on the road's tough at kent's tough that akron game at home is suddenly looking very scary to me because akron from what i've seen through the first two weeks just looking at the numbers I'm not, when i say seen i don't mean i've been sitting there grinding akron film but like this is a Akron team that strikes me as being capable of being very bad and might be that worst team in the nation come the end of the season. Yeah, there's like five teams right now that I think could be the worst team in the nation, right? UConn, New Mexico State, Akron. Who are there two I'm missing? I, I know I'm missing a couple here. Kansas. Uh, <laughs> I think Kansas, Florida State, of course. Uh, Kansas, I think with the quarterback that can run around, they, they're, they're elevated. So far, my ratings absolutely hate Navy, but I think Navy will turn around. Um, but like I Akron, New Mexico State, I don't UConn, know either. I think I uh, think oh, there's Louisiana just... Monroe could be sneaky, yeah. really, really bad. So that's like four. UMass has also looked a little bit better. Old Dominion could be really, really bad. But like I just think Bowling Green is more like the 120th team rather than 130th. And Chip would probably be killing us right now if he heard us talking about Bowling Green for like eight minutes. But no, <laughs> we'll make this a VOD. It'll be great. Uh, <laughs> I want to submit that to the, to the PAs and just see what they do. Right, Isaac's going to call me. Danny, you've got you've got a, a lock agreement with Bud on the Miami under nine and a half. Like after seeing Miami get blasted by Alabama and seeing them struggle to get by App State last week, I assume you're feeling pretty good about that one. I am, but on the flip side, I think the play was you go UNC over Miami under, and at a game when I pegged as a loss for Miami going to Chapel Hill October 16th, that game, I think you uh, Miami, like I feel a little bit better about their chances of possibly beating the Tar Heels there. Like, And again, the first two games I think played out probably the way you would think. Like did not think they would beat Alabama – and then actually, if you really dove deep and thought about it, you would expect a letdown game against App State, right? Like, this mm -hmm. is one of those ones. Um, so, like, that wasn't surprising. Looking at what else is there, you know, maybe that's the only concern. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it right now, but Pitt, like, that Pitt game is going to be tough for them. So, yeah, I feel better about the under for Miami, but still not, like, ready to cash in on it just yet. But uh, you're with them. I assuming you're agreeing for the most part. I actually did play both North Carolina and Miami under. So as did I. I think I did too. I don't know if I did it on our official, but that's kind of the the take. Um, I just think that like they're not that far above the rest of the ACC. Uh, personally, I yeah. I mean, Danny, they could lose to Michigan State this weekend. That yeah. that line is you know is, is under a touchdown. Um, I mean, I have Miami as single digit favorites against Michigan State, Virginia. Obviously, North Carolina will, will be a slight dog. NC State at Pitt, they could be a dog. Uh, I had them double digits against Georgia Tech. I had them like borderline double digits at FSU and then single digits again uh, against Vatek at home. And then they go to Duke to end the year. And look, recently they've owned Duke, but in 
previous years when Miami collapses, we've seen them lose at Duke, but I, I don't think they'll lose to Duke. Yeah, I, I'm still there. What, what was our number nine or nine and a half? Uh, Danny oh, nine I, and a half. Yeah, yeah. that this is. Um, so I went right over now, North I'm, Carolina. Yeah, I'm projecting them seven point nine right now, so that's basically eight. Uh, I feel pretty good about this one. It's my fourth most confident to get to the window of my locks right now. Yeah, well, how about this one? Because you just mentioned them, they're playing Miami this week. You've got the over four and a half on Michigan Old State. Game, is that one of your more confident plays at this point? Yeah, and I've got them at six point seven. Um, I just think they're better than a lot of these these Big Ten teams. I think Michigan State, uh, Mel Tucker had them in a tough spot in negotiations, and he basically says, show me the money. I want a huge recruiting staff. I want a huge off-field staff. Give me all these ex-analysts. I want what Kirby and Nick have since he coached for them. He kind of knows how those organizations run and, and what Jimbo has at A&M now. He's, he's a, a resource hog, but he puts it to good use, and like they – he demands a lot, but he's getting a lot out of his kids so far. They've actually scored on the opening play of both games, and they, they're they coming out hot. He's not one of these stodgy defensive coaches right now. I think he's actually doing a really good job. I mean, tell me the remaining game they can't win other than Ohio, at Ohio State. There isn't one, honestly. Like they, they can beat Indiana on the road. They could beat Michigan at home. They can beat Penn State at home to finish the year. I, I agree. I don't think they're beating Ohio State, but again – we're gonna have to see how Ohio State looks. Like you know, coming off that loss, if the defense, if they don't figure things out on that side of the ball, this is an Ohio State team that could be beatable by Michigan State at the end of the year. Uh, moving on to a they lock- cash this before Halloween. Oh, they might honestly, because uh-huh. look, if they beat Miami on Saturday, yeah, yeah, I think it's just sports books could probably you know if if they offer cash out, they should probably just offer you the full cash out at that point if they beat Miami on Saturday. Gives you a chance to lose it back to them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. See, that's it's forward. That's why thinking. books do that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, here, here's a win total that you and I, but are in a lock agreement on that I don't feel great about at all. After the Skylar Thompson injury, the Kansas State over five and a half. I was feeling so good watching them in Week One just take it to Stanford, beating them twenty-four to seven. I was I was practically spending the money on that ticket already, and then Skylar Thompson gets hurt. They Barely scraped by Southern Illinois. They've got Nevada this week, a road trip to Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and then Iowa State all coming in the next three weeks or four weeks. There's a buy in there. But those are their next three games. And I have, I mean, maybe they could beat Oklahoma State. I don't think they're beating Nevada this week because I think that Nevada's got a huge advantage at the QB position. I mean, we're, we're talking about a team that could be two and four come mid-October, and we're going to need them to win four of their final six games down the stretch. Yeah, and, and Tom, I just, I think we had the right side. I, I really do, you know. Damn and fate. Just, yeah, I mean, quarterback injuries obviously hurt us. Uh, in that game against Southern Illinois, after Skyler Thompson went down, I was like, man, maybe Will Howard's gotten better. He was kind of thrown into the fire last year. That was a tough spot. Mm-mm. 8 of 17 for 76 yards and a pick. <laughs> eight eight rushes for 9 yards. Uh, I mean I think they went like I've got him at 5.2 now. You know, which is a pretty big downgrade because before I had him at like 6.2. So that like losing Howard to me is like a full win different and that's going to be that's probably the difference. I've got one. Can I give one? I can yeah. so yeah. basically oh, yeah. I've got a six dealer has face card. I hate when people surrender, but I kind of want to surrender. Alabama, I took under 11 and a half thinking, surely there's a slip up in there somewhere. Well, the (laughs) slip ups I thought were potential slip ups. Gainesville this weekend, not loving the Emory Jones experiment so far. Don't feel great about that. College Station, not feeling great about that with Haynes King lost, Zach Calzada in kind of in shambles offensively for the Aggies. Um, the Iron Bowl still in play, but we don't know what that's going to look like. Like, yeah, it's a rivalry game, but I don't think that's going to be the loss. Baton Rouge, LSU, like after what we've seen early, I- I'm ready to just surrender. Can I get half my money back if I just get out of this now? I just think the Tide, never doubt him again. Like as crazy as it is, I don't know. I just You see Nick Saban go off on his team after they waxed Miami. And we got players proposing on the sideline after a, a worst mean, loss in history. Um, <laughs> it's I, I just think that's why Saban is so great. Like he reloads, he has his team focused no matter what. 
I thought a slip up was in there, but the potential hiccups, maybe Ole Miss, that was the one that I looked at. Maybe like that's the flyer, but I think the smart money says surrender, get half your bet back and live another day. I will say, like, I was on the over in our SEC West win total show. I didn't lock it up. I, I said Alabama was going to go 12 and 0. But if I'm you, I understand why you're worried. But I do feel like the, what I thought was the, maybe not statistically, but just real life, the most realistic loss for them, the one team that I'm really scared of against Alabama because it's the one team I think can score enough points to compete, it's Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. And from what I've seen from Ole Miss, they look better. I, I still think Ole Miss is capable of maybe pulling off a shocker defensively. They need to, we're going to need to see that, you know, continue into the SEC play before that Alabama game. But I, if I'm you, I still think there is one good shot for them to lose a game. If that's your worst one, like that's, that's not, uh, that's not that bad. No. Like, um, Chip, by the way, texted, he's, he's trying to get back in. Uh, but Chip said, we asked him which, uh, or do we have any more lock unities or lock infinities to go over that, that are uh, we've uh, got we've got Kansas under one and a half, which I mean it's there's no change there. Like yeah. it's they're one and one, which is I think where both of us expected them to be at this point of the season. And we also Danny and I are on the Oregon over nine, which I'm feeling pretty strong about, Danny. I don't know yep. if you are after they beat Ohio State. And then you and Danny, Bud and Danny, are agreement on Iowa State under nine and a half, which again, I'm assuming both of you are feeling pretty good about at this point. The yeah, Oregon I think they're like seven and five or eight and four. Yeah, the Oregon one is interesting because they still have a road gauntlet to go through still. Mm-hmm. And I know you look at the teams they're playing, but it's just the schedule was the thing that made me nervous. I'm a believer in Oregon, but I also the Pac-12, are they going to do Pac-12 things? They still have to go to Stanford, which looks much tougher. Granted, we'll see what happens in Nashville this weekend, to UCLA, to Washington and to Utah. Again, we feel a lot better about all those, except UCLA looks a little bit tougher. I I feel great about the pick, but I'm not ready to just cash the ticket just yet. I don't want to gloat too early. But you know what, though? Like I look at the rest of the Pac-12 North, and I think that's five wins right there. I don't I don't see anybody in that division beating Oregon. I think the North is going to look pretty weak come the end of the season. And I look at the South. USC's already, I mean, they don't play USC, so I guess it doesn't matter, but they've already fired Helton, so they're kind of screwed. But like in the South, they get Arizona, which might be the worst team in the Pac-12. They get Colorado, which respectable, but I don't think that's going to get in Oregon's way, especially since the game's in Eugene. And they get the road trip to Utah, which I think will be difficult because playing road games at Utah are always difficult. And even if Utah is coming off a loss to BYU, I still think that's going to be a tough team. But like the rest of that schedule, man, I I don't see any real losses outside of UCLA on the road as a possibility and Utah on the road. The rest of those games, I mean, I know Stanford looked good at USC, but I think that was more USC because that's still the same Stanford that got its butt kicked by Kansas State. So I'm not all that concerned about them in that game. I think this is an Oregon game that's winning 10 games at a minimum. I have them 10-2, and two, which is still a winner for Danny. Yeah. Well, Chip is... One of the ones he mentioned in the text where, you know, he's, he's back. Tech- oh, he's back. Oh, there he is. Well, I see. Do we got him? Oh, wait. Has he frozen? <laughs> he's not really no back. Way. He's just, it, he's is that just something Steve. that happened? There he is. Yeah. You know, if you spend too much time talking nice about Vanderbilt, <laughs> then Barton's internet will actually. The <laughs> yeah. The ghost oh of Barton's God, internet find its way into your podcast one way or another. Um, I, I tell you what, let's, uh, let's, have y'all hit the break yet? No, no. Okay. We need the pro. We need the pro to get us okay. to break. All right. So, uh, so we've, we've got, uh, did y'all do Illinois, Auburn, Oregon? Yes. Yes. Awesome. Cool. Well, coming up on the other side, Iowa state has taken a loss that could impact that historic win total. Uh, plus we, we that take too. We didn't really go in order. Okay. (laughs) We'll get into the rest of our win totals, plus our thoughts on USC's candidates next. 
Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? This is a huge night. What was the truth from you? Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Oh, yeah, the Internet might be struggling, but I had to find a way. I had to put together uh, cables to to let you know about the incredible opportunity that you have with Mint Mobile. That is the excitement that I have for Mint Mobile, because after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when we first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service starting at just $15 a month, we thought, what was the catch? But after finding out a little bit more about Mint Mobile and the service, there really isn't one. See, Mint Mobile's secret sauce is they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. By cutting out the retail stores, there's no crazy overhead costs that get passed down to you in the form of all these mystery fees. Instead, Mint just passes on those sweet, sweet minty savings direct to you. It's a great opportunity where you're going to be able to, if you want to switch to Mint Mobile, I mean, those plans are just $15 a month. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. You can use your own phone. You can keep your same number along with all of your existing contacts. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just $15 a month and get the plan shipped directly to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash cover three. That's mintmobile.com slash cover three, M-I-N-T. M-O-B-I-L-E, mintmobile.com slash cover three. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash cover three. Come on, Mint Mobile. I got your read in. The internet held together <laughs> or your Mint Mobile read. So at least we've gotten that uh, gotten that taken care of. All right. So, um, yeah, we're, what's uh, what's on the top of y'all's mind from the, uh, from the win totals lock doc so far that we haven't gotten to? I would like to ask you about your Ohio State over eleven. Oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm in a lot Are of you? trouble. I th- I think that the um, I think the inconsistencies that we've seen throughout eight quarters, where if you put, I don't even know if you can put like an entire four quarter combination together for what I thought Ohio State was going to be. It's almost like I have to take individual drives. I have to nitpick on like a very specific level maybe even on individual throws from our quarterback, C.J. Stroud. If among eight quarters, I take the very best plays, I might be able to string together, I don't know, because like, I mean, they've, they've had to throw the ball so many times. They've had so many uh, plays in all these games. It's like, what's our play count for like an Iowa football game? Like 60, right? Maybe, 60, yeah. 65, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I can fill out an Iowa game's worth of Ohio state play that makes me feel like they're going to win all of the rest of their games. I think that the, the way that that offense um, can sputter just a little bit, how a three and out can torch a defense that we've already discussed its issues extensively. I, I think that this, uh, this Ohio state team has me concerned that there could be another loss on the schedule. I, I said, push insurance off the bat and now I need that uh, insurance claim to be able to cash or else otherwise this Ohio State over is going to be very much in jeopardy. Iowa I think they're going to run the table. 62 plays per game. Iowa run 62? So yeah, yeah. I was close. I mean, saying they're going to run, they're going to be favored. Do you have their sheet pulled up right now? Hold oh, yeah, on. They're, Let's they're know what favored. Bud just they're said. Favored. But but I, give them the line. 
I think they're going to run the table, man. I do. Uh, I I think that they're going to do something about the defensive coaching staff right now. Um, I think they not Mark ma- D'Antonio, though, right? We can clarify that. <laughs> I mean, who knows? I guess, but uh, you know who's on that on that coaching staff as an analyst? Paul Rhodes. Oh, yeah. Who would you rather have now, coaching the defense, Kerry Combs or Paul Rhodes? How does that work? Can you do you have to fire one to add the analyst to the staff? Like, because he still can't. I know. Yeah, you have to have a vacancy to add the analyst to the staff, and I know this because like recruiting season. Sometimes coaches want to send a like a really popular analyst on the road to go see guys, and you got to elevate them to a coaching spot for a little bit. So somebody would have to go or have some sort of illness or you know leave or something. Um, but there's no rule against having a shadow DC in practice, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got to make the change. It's a big shadow. You've got to, you've got to reassign the jobs, and you've got to have. You can't have like a one coach. I mean, listen, with zero college football playing experience, I will very quickly like seed this, but you can't have to me one voice playing the defensive coordinator on game day and someone else being like the shadow voice and the one who's actually leading the meetings and doing the game planning, right? Now, the analyst, could the analyst still call the defensive plays from the booth? I don't know the rules on that. I think there's, I think there's headset issues. Are, are there rules about how many headsets you can have on game yeah. day? Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, Chip had too many headsets going earlier in the show. <laughs> yes. I'm with Bud, though. I think, like, who else? The offense is still what we thought it was, right? I mean, the offense still has the firepower. Well, I mean, well, I, I think still the think offense is perfectly fine. Yeah. They put up 600 yards in the game. Granted, some of it's from behind, but I think the offense is fine. I think they can, while they iron out some of these issues on the defensive side of the ball, like, who presents the challenges? Penn State. And Michigan, you have to go to to Ann Arbor, which I think definitely looks a little bit trickier, but they've dominated that rivalry. Like I'm more leaning towards Bud of, yeah, do we forget what happened in 2014 when they lost to a 7-6 and Virginia Tech team and then ran the table and ran to the playoffs? Like I I think the more likely scenario is that they do kind of, maybe this is the wake-up call. Like sometimes losses can be a good thing. Maybe this forced their hand to have to do some things defensively that – you know, Kerry Coombs was really hesitant against. Maybe this is what it took to get Ryan Day to go in those meetings and say, uh-uh, this is not working. We need to disguise more. We need to pressure more. We need to show two highs and single high safety looks. Maybe that's part of the solution. And the good thing about it is the offense can cover up a lot of those issues while they iron them out. A team we just talked about, Oregon. Who is more likely to make the playoff, Ohio State or Oregon? Ohio State. I, do, I think so, too. Yeah, but I think that's more based on perception than. But no, I mean, the one that's because the college football playoff is a beauty contest, and yeah, if Ohio State is. is eleven or twelve and one Big Ten champs, then they're and good. If Oregon, play. yeah, like drops a game to like Utah or UCLA, it's gonna get they're gonna get hammered for it. Whereas Ohio State would get credit for only losing to Oregon. But I, I going to your <laughs> concerns about the offense, Chip. Like, I get what you're saying in that I I do think they've been a little too pass heavy through two games like they're running the ball well they're they're averaging about 5.8 yards per carry which is an elite but it's still i think top 20 in the nation but they've only run the ball like 28 times per game which is you know like last year they were rushing the ball over 40 times per game so i i think they could help cj strout out a bit if they kind of had a bit more balance on offense but i don't know if they're comfortable with their offensive line in the run game right now so that's going to be an interesting thing to watch going forward too it's a little skewed because they've been playing from behind you know they had to throw it to come back faster I think it was interesting. You asked about, you know, who would you feel better about? Ohio State right now, 10 to 1 odds to win the national championship. Oregon, 15 to 1. So Vegas is in agreement on this too. So I I think the concern I have with Ohio State's offense, and it's a very minor one, but maybe this is what Chip's getting at. Chip, tell me if you agree or not. Is they're a little bit over-reliant on explosive plays right now, and their success rate numbers are not quite what you would think about with like a crazy late offense. They're just so explosive that it covers it up. And we saw that a little bit against Oregon, right? Some of their third and fourth down struggles, they're still landing haymakers quite often. And against no the jabs. vast majority of teams they play, it's not going to work. They just, their jab game needs to, to kind of round into form. I think that's, that is absolutely when I use the word inconsistent. And when I say, if I cut and paste my favorite Ohio state plays together, you're like, wow, this super cut is incredible. But 
the experience of watching the games, you just see some nothing burger drives and you're like, man, you really, really missed out on an opportunity, you know, based on this, maybe your defense did get a stop. And if you could have put together this long scoring drive, it kind of tilts the competition a little bit more in your favor. When I was going to fantasy land, defense gets a stop. I think the more comfortable Stroud gets, the better that'll get. Because I do think that the, the one of the things that have been missing that I saw through the first two games this year is, you know, Justin Fields, for ever, as great as he was as a passer, was also very smart about when to run to pick up yards when things weren't like if maybe the passing, the big play was there in the passing game, but there was definitely a chance to pick up a first down with his legs. Justin Fields would take that chance to get the first down if it was there. I think Stroud at times is held down to the ball looking for the big play instead of maybe just picking up five yards and making it easier on second or third down. That's a good call. Um, have we talked about Miami yet? Yes. Okay. That would be, I would say Miami's another team like that where it, it their, what is it? Their yards per play looks okay, but then you actually go through the experience of watching Miami play and it is very much coming in, in spurts. It's a fun, it's an interesting thing that I'm trying to look at within the, you know, college football this season in 2021. We talked about the explosive plays all off season and how important it is for modern offenses. And you probably still end up winning more if you have explosive plays, and especially if you don't. But Bud, I guess for your like for the statistical analysis of it, we are seeing a lot of teams that are so committed and reliant on explosive plays that when they are not successful on sort of a down-to-down basis, one one stat may look great, but within the context of a game, you, you feel like there's another step that they need to develop to. And again, it's week two, so I am willing to give college football teams the opportunity to improve throughout the season, but it's definitely one of my concerns about Miami as well. They've always been a team that is, uh, like at least under Wright Lashley, uh, has been poor success rate-wise and has done a good job uh, with explosive plays. I will note, to Chip's point, like monitoring this early in the season can yield value when it comes to the locks pot. There are, like, basically what we see is that success rate stabilizes quicker, right? So you can have really wild swings in your explosiveness, obviously, like it's like one drop pass on a bomb through two weeks can really you know, make or break your explosive rating. Explosive rating takes longer to stabilize. Like we don't really know how explosive some of these teams are for a while. Pretty confident Ohio State is explosive, by the way, but for yeah. a lot of these, not. Um, success rate does stabilize more quickly uh, because you, it's the sample set is bigger, right? I mean, a lot of these guys have run, you know, 140 plays already. All right. Well, who else to uh, Northwestern under six and a half? I mean, how you feeling? Good. <laughs> I feel like they're going to miss the bowl. You feel like they're going to make it to a bowl, but they won't hit seven wins. No, missable. I think they're. I think they're going five and seven. Yeah. How are you feeling about your Iowa under chip? Bad. <laughs> Capital B bad. You know, we spend all that time on uh, on upon further review Monday's episode. You know, discussing whether Iowa should be fifth or seventh. You know, we didn't spend any time wondering if Ohio State's going to win. I mean, if I was going to win seven games, like if I was going to be some like eight and four middle of the Big Ten team. I mean, maybe, but I, I think that the rest of the Big Ten West has set up such that uh, I don't see uh, I don't see anything major. Danny, what about your Louisiana under? Did you hit uh, that? I feel better about it. No, we didn't. I was going to hit on uh, Bud Nye's Iowa State under because you got to feel a lot better about that with the question marks at quarterback now. Brock Purdy's thrown three interceptions three times in the last eight games. He is an issue. Like, it's a problem for Iowa State and Brees Hall suffering for it. Like, they can't. the teams are loading up and daring you, saying, go ahead, beat us on the outside. And, and they can't. They're not, and they can't. So that's an issue. I feel really good about the Iowa State under at this point. Um, Did I'm you sure guys watch? Sorry, Danny. My bad. No, go ahead. Um, did you guys watch the live Q&A yesterday? Mm-hmm. So I invented a new term. It's called Jag Plus. It's like when a, when a quarterback is <laughs> just like a just a guy plus, right? It's like, okay, it's when a quarterback, but I don't want to like say like he's like no doubt really good or good, but he's we acknowledge that he's better than like just a random guy in there. So like Charlie Brewer, Brock Purdy, you know, guys who get – way too much credit for a team win but actually like you know if you look at their actual skills maybe can't carry a team by themselves i'm beginning to think brock purdy's kind of jag plus 
I mean, maybe that's mean. Is but this like, like on an OPS plus schedule? Like, like no, no, it, will it, be no it is not scaled. No, no. I'm just saying, like, just say, the, the plus here. Brock Purdy's like a 102. <laughs> is uh, is Devin Leary a Jag plus? He might be. I might be really wrong on that one. I know. We'll see. Sucks. That was a. Go ahead, Don. I, will, I was gonna say one of mine that I am kind of worried about after this weekend because I was kind of counting on it as being one of the wins. I'm worried about my Mizzou over seven at this point. I think that Kentucky game was important for them to get to eight. I think I'm very much in push territory now at best. And my Mississippi State under six hasn't changed. It's the same thing as when we were talking about NC State. That was kind of already baked into my formula. So, But Mizzou gets a Boston College that doesn't have Phil Dracovic. True, but still, I, I think getting to eight became a lot more difficult by losing to Kentucky. That's true. Mizzou... Unless Haynes King makes it back by October 16th, which is kind of right on that question borderline, maybe they're, yeah. they're going to play Boston College and AM without their starting quarterbacks. Uh, and Tennessee still doesn't know who his starting quarterback is. So you, you may rack up some wins here pretty pretty quick, Tom. Well, they're they're looking for their starting quarterback, but Joe Milton keeps overthrowing him by 20 yards. <laughs> that that skill set gets coaches fired. Um, I tell you, you know. I don't want to spoil anything for Lockspot. Could Memphis beat Mississippi State this weekend? Yes. yes. I think so, too. I mean, it's a three-point spread and a potential letdown spot and a rivalry game at Memphis. Although, sure. how much home field advantage do you give Memphis for that one? Because it's it's fairly easy for Mississippi State fans to travel up there. Yeah, I made, it, I, I made it neutral site. Yeah. So, the, I would argue that even – I would argue that for Memphis, you could factor in, like – you could probably keep a home field advantage if only for like a Super Bowl factor. Sure. Biggest biggest game in Memphis this season. Mississippi Absolutely. State coming to town. Getting What's fired the up. total in that game? It's got to be in the 70s, right? Uh, 64, 63 and a half. I kind of like the over on that one. <laughs> I think you could see this one go back and forth a little bit. I don't think Memphis. Memphis just gave up 50 to Arkansas State. And I like their quarterback. Hannigan, I think he could have some success against Mississippi State. I don't know. Early, yeah, we're getting early in the locks pod. Mississippi State's got some dogs. Yeah, yeah. got some dogs on defense. Fired up. Um, all right, any any others from the uh, apologies to the to the listeners and to my my esteemed co-hosts here? Uh, any other from the win totals before we just uh, kick it around real quick on uh, the future of the USC football program? I have my biggest miss. What's that? NIU, Northern Illinois. I was about uh, to I, ask you. Huh? I really thought they were gonna gonna be really bad this year, and uh, they would have a coaching change. And all credit to Thomas Hammock and his staff; like they look a lot better. Uh, that's a program in the MAC that actually has kind of annual expectations. They're not one of these like that is just happy to be good every couple of years. Uh, and like, I really thought that was gonna be like a two or three win team, and they go out. They they beat Georgia Tech on the road. They hang, I, I know maybe a little fluky, but they hang tough at home against Wyoming. I, they might make a bowl game now. I yeah. really miss on this one. Do y'all, I, go ahead, Danny. I was going to say, do you got anything else? I got I got one more on one of mine that I'm going to be celebrating in over seven and a half in eight weeks. Michigan? <laughs> Michigan. Yeah. Michigan. Nice. Feeling a little better about that one. Now, granted, Washington wasn't the test, the challenge that you thought it was going to be. The style which we are playing – Quarterback looks solidified. Defense, they're getting more physical, finding a running back. Like all these things that you think of identity, that you think of with Harbaugh, some of the teams on their schedule. I feel – I'm joking about the 8-no start, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I think this is one of the the easier slam dunks with the 7.5 going over the uh, total. I mean, yeah, there's I was, a principle there, I think, that we should remember for next year. What is that? that? Like figure out where the bottom is. And traditionally, like, do not bet the under on really historic programs that recruit really well. Or don't bet – yeah, don't bet the under on these programs that recruit super well when the under is, like, the lowest it's been in years. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. there's always going to be some kind of talent upside. Like, Unless last it's Florida State. Did yeah. Did I say yeah, that out loud? Well, I mean, they, they might win two games. So <laughs> I don't know. I, they're still – I'm not giving up on them. I still – there was a game I called – Bobby Bowden, I think it was his, one of his last two years. They almost lost to Jacksonville State before. Yep, I was calling yep. the game. They were down late in the fourth quarter. Kind of was a miraculous comeback. The fact that they won was more of a miracle. So, like, it's an awful, devastating Was it the loss. rain game? 
Yes. Yeah. Ugly weather. It was gross. Nigel Bradham gets that interception. Yep. And they, yeah. Otherwise, they were going to go down two scores. Yeah. Uh, so like, it's it's not like the. I mean, it's it sucks and it's the worst loss in history. But I still I still believe the team's going to fight. I still think they're weeding out stuff. And when guys are quitting because they don't want to run their gassers due to punishment, uh, which is what's supposedly happened with one of the offensive linemen that's left the program. We're fighting you a strength coach. Yeah, you're still you're still weeding out some issues there for Mike Norvell. It's, it's a setback, but it's still a foundational year. There's a couple guys that I do think if they drop more games, Norvell will just say peace. Mm. Like there's certain guys they have to play right now. Yeah. Um, who they're still hoping will get with the program. Yeah. Um, dudes that you know Willie or Jimbo recruited, and uh, if they drop a couple more here, I think you're going to see a lot of youth movement. youth movement there. Yeah. In the in the secondary. Um, let me see. Other one I felt. I had another one I felt bad about. Kind of sweating Texas over good. seven and a half. <laughs> kind of sweating Texas over seven and a half. A little bit, yeah. I don't but see enough. From the, yeah, I don't see enough from the middle of the Big Twelve, especially if Kansas State uh, loses Skylar Thompson. That's Oklahoma fair. State has half of a quarterback. Like TCU has looked probably a, like we were pretty pretty optimistic on TCU, and I wouldn't say that they've exceeded expectations. Did you see what like, TCU did in that game? In which way? They gave up, like, I think they had passes allowed of 80, 75, like 61, 44, and like 45 in the first 20 minutes. Right. And one. Yeah. I was like, how do you blow that many coverages in 20 minutes? That is really impressive. Uh, and then they didn't allow a damn thing the rest of the game. It, it was, yeah, that was wild. Sorry. I mean, it was TCU's defense getting its first, like, you know, First little look out there. Chase Chase Garbers decided to uh, to dice him up a little. That's that's what I'm telling myself about the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So the news broke on Monday after we got done recording our episode. Uh, Bud jumped on and uh, ran through a lot of the candidates, sort of where USC is, the future of recruiting, why things went poorly for Clay Helton, and so now I want to open it up to the entire group because our position for any midseason firing is always very complicated because there are going to be sitting head coaches, especially for a good job like this, whose names are mentioned. And many of them not only are, are, I truly believe like focused on their season, you know, and trying to get to the next game. But how about this week in particular are in like two of the four biggest games of the season with Luke Vickle leading Cincinnati on the road to Indiana with James Franklin and Penn state uh, hosting Auburn in one, in a, in a whiteout scenario, uh, college football insider extraordinaire, Dan Patrick is already on his radio show reading his text messages on air saying there is quote mutual interest. You think? In no shit. Really? <laughs> Coaches are interested in the <laughs> USC job. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, Dennis Dodd turned the attention on, uh, a pair of former, head coaches who are not working right now, Bob Soups and Chris Peterson. Before we get this conversation started, the note that I would put for both of those is they are working for Fox Sports, which is based where? In LA. Los Angeles. This is a very, very easy uh, move. If USC wants to do it, it would not be my move if I was the USC athletic director. But um, how do we see this search playing out? Do you want to play fantasy athletic director and make a suggestion to Mike Bone? Uh, I'm just, just curious to hear where everybody's thoughts are for a process that will continue for literally months, probably before we get a resolution. I'm not hiring Chris Peterson. And I think Chris Peterson's a very good football coach, but Chris Peterson is more of what you've already had. Like I wrote on Monday, USC needs somebody who knows how to go get the talent and bring all the talent and brings that kind of SEC kind of national title recruiting acumen to the program. And that's not Chris Peterson. That's one of the reasons Peterson's gone and they brought in Jimmy Lake because they were sick of the OKGs. They wanted to bring in more of the four and five high rated guys that hasn't worked too well to this point, but still, I don't think Chris Peterson's right for USC. I think we've talked about it a number of times. I don't know who specifically it should be. I think that, but I think there's a very narrow candidate list of who those guys are that I think would fit well there. Tom, I, I have a little bit different take on Peterson, but we're going to, we're going to get to the same place. Like, I don't think Washington was tired of Peterson. I think Peterson, I think Peterson was tired. Yeah. Was tired of the recruiting game. And at USC, it's not acceptable 
to not play the recruiting game. Like mm-hmm. you have to understand what what recruiting at the at the highest levels entails, and you have to be okay with it. Like I think a lot of things Peterson did were what USC needs. They need more physicality. They need better attention to detail. They need you know, little things to be taken care of behind the scenes to be more buttoned up. Um, and Clay Helton didn't have all that. But you can't you can't throw the guy in there who's not going to recruit. You know, and it's like, look, we're 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 better now. And 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 you know, ask Florida how that's going, right? Yeah. I mean like, that's that's going to be great for a bunch of nine and three, ten and two seasons where you get to the Rose right. Bowl, but you're never going to the playoff. Can I ask you something about recruiting in general? Because it was one of the reasons I didn't want to get in coaching. It takes up a ton of time, a lot of equity, uh, a lot of ass kissing. Like, and I, I like could not do that for seventeen and eighteen year olds. Like, tell them how great they are, and like, hey, come, like, kiss their. I've seen it, and I've seen it in person. And sometimes I'm like, oh, that's what you have to do, and it's like, ugh, nil. How much could that change the game for a guy like Huge. Chris Peterson, who maybe doesn't like going on the road? A Bob Stoops, who has a part of the game that he didn't like, where all of a sudden, yeah, you got to put in some phone calls, you got to work, and you maybe have to go see a player, uh, but you don't have to call him four times a day. You don't have to, you know, make sure you're texting him and you know checking in on him every single day. It's here's the bag, it's secured, and it's legit. It's above board. Because I think that was a big reason why USC is where they are, where they are, because they got busted. Reggie Bush gets in trouble. They say, oh, this is an embarrassment. We're going to do things the right way. Well, how's that working out? Like they lost a lot of talent because other teams were saying, no, 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 we'll go ahead. We'll do it. We'll do it the way we've been doing it forever. We'll take that talent. So I just wonder if any coach that's out there that's a former coach that maybe wasn't too into the recruiting would see this as an opportunity to say, you know what? It's not going to be quite the same recruiting game it's always been. Now, definitely, you still have to, like, even in free agents in the NFL, you still get wined and dined, and you want to see a relationship. But I just wonder if it's going to change to where you don't have to hold their hand from start to finish all the way across the finish line. And there's always the chance you get undercut, you know, or bought out. You know, somebody comes up with a bigger offer. But I just wonder if it's maybe more attractive to some of these coaches who weren't into the recruiting process as much. I have no idea how that's going to impact it. I think that that's an interesting idea where it could maybe ease a lot of the workload, but I think there's also a possibility it could add more, but I do think like NIL and USC in particular, I think that's a very, I think USC could really benefit from the NIL thing because the fact is, you know, like if you look at Instagram, like all the Instagram influencers, the ones who got the millions of followers and they get a ton of money where they all live. LA and Southern. Yeah. And you're so you're in the entertainment capital of the country and there's tons of those opportunities there. And like that's where every single agent in the world practically lives. So there's tons of NIL opportunities that I think USC could look to take advantage of with their new head coach. But I I do think that whoever it is has to just be a hundred percent hard, you know, coach speak a hundred and ten percent committed to getting that talent. I think it's gonna be Franklin. I think that's who the I think they kind of I hear he has mutual interest, Danny. (laughs) You think? I just feel like it's sort of you just it's it like they deserve each other almost like Franklin. I think he's showing a little bit of desperation by having these rumors float out there. I think he's always kind of looked at Penn State. I think he's tired of playing second fiddle to Ohio State. There's an opportunity. I think he kind of feels like an L.A. coach and they're into that star power. I think he would love nothing more than to go on Jimmy Kimmel and go on every show and to to have the TikTok stars out of practice and he could do a little dance with them. I think he would eat that up. He's a, he's incredible on the recruiting trail. I think he would crush it out there. I think you could kind of try to own California. You know, I definitely question some of his coaching acumen, but you get some good coordinators underneath him. I think I mean I think it just feels like this might be the ine- inevitable move that's made. I will say that if James Franklin does end up getting the USC job, he better start landing the damn top quarterbacks, considering they're all going to be living within 20 miles of his own campus. Well, they have 2023 star Malachi Nelson uh, already committed. So, like, assuming he doesn't bounce, the, the, this guy's got – they already have two of our top four players in the country committed, I think, uh, for 23. Like, I think Franklin would be a great fit. Um, it, the guy just wins games. Yeah, in some difficult spots, he he's the only coach to win at Vandy in any of our lifetimes, pretty much. Uh, yeah, yeah, he took over a very difficult so spot. Yeah, correct. Exactly. <laughs> and he took over a really difficult spot at Penn State uh, after you know they were going through some of the sanctions stuff. And I I wonder if he's really appreciated at Penn State. I think there's a lot of like the kind of existing. Uh, I say this 
I'll say weirdos, but like just you know, Joe Paw folks and and just like mm. people who I don't I, I think there's some thought there in the industry that that uh, that he's not really all that appreciated at Penn State. My my point, uh, I think it was yesterday on CBS Sports HQ, is that the way that he can be the face of a program, the way that he understands the branding, the marketing, like he took Penn State out of the Joe Pa scandal and the Sandusky scandal. Like he was able to move it mm -hmm. in a way that very compared to what happened, like that, like we probably should have lingered longer, but he was just like such a force and he was able to engage that Penn state community and be able to like push this whole thing forward. Like USC should look at that and look at the Vanderbilt success. Like you mentioned and say, you know, if we want to forget the clay Helton era, go get James Franklin. He will make you like forget because he is just such a star to your point that he can, he can take up a lot of oxygen. And I think that that's what you want is to give USC fans and uh, that whole community the idea that there, this is without a doubt a new era. The page has been turned and it starts, you know, right here with at the introductory press conference, which of course, James Franklin's going to win. You know, well, I think you, oh, I was going to say, you know, you know who he wants out because I, I think he checked out the moment they won the Big Ten, beat Ohio State, and didn't even sniff the playoffs. I was one of the only ones I remember getting into with Herb Street. Like, why aren't we even discussing Penn State as an option for the playoffs? Oh, they lost twice. Well, who'd they beat? They beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten Championship. I think that was the minute he probably realized, oh, like, I'm not, th there's a lot more to this. There's optics, there's, you know, history, there's, uh, you know, style points and all this. And I have to go up against that every single year. So, like, when I say he's desperate to get out of there, I think there's a number of reasons why. I'm talking about not that appreciated. I think there's, I think there's legitimate reasons why he would want to leave Penn State. Um, I do. I think it might have been during the 2020 season when he coached away from his family. Like, whatever doubts you had or whatever frustrations you had, as his family was in Florida because of an immune compromised daughter, I believe it is. Like, what? If you're just sitting all alone, going through the grind and like quarantined and going through the, and as poorly as the Penn State season went last year and all the bad breaks that they had, what any negative thoughts that you've got about that, that job or that setting, it would not surprise me if, if they were exacerbated by the fact that he was away from his family for the whole year. I, I think we've mentioned this before on here when we've like speculated about the USC kick, but it is funny and it is true. I feel like a perfect candidate would be Lane Kiffin. It's just because yeah. he's a much better football. He's a much better head coach now than he was when he first got the USC job. And he brings the same kind of approach. But I, I think of other candidates out there. I think Luke Fickle brings a lot of what you want. Like, but you were mentioning the physicality. I think Fickle would definitely bring that back to USC. He care, you know, he obviously focused on recruiting. I think he would do that. It's just all the other stuff, like you were mentioning, like the having the TikTok stars and being on Jimmy Kimmel. I don't think that's up Luke Fickle's alley. I don't think he'd be interested in that. I don't think Luke Fickle really. I don't know how interested he is. I know he's got the history with Mike Bone, but I don't know how interested he's going to be in uprooting his entire family from Ohio, where they've lived their entire lives, and moving them to the West Coast. So I don't know if that's going to play. Why not, Lane Kiffin? If history, if Jennifer Lopez can bet, get back with Ben Affleck, why can't Lane yeah. Kiffin go back? That's to about USC? true love, Danny. That's <laughs> right? not about nobody's been paying I mean, attention to us lately. That's just true love. But I mean, how Jordan many clip that right? How many <laughs> marriages have we seen fall apart? And you're like, that was the nastiest divorce you've ever seen. And then give it some time. And then they fall back in love and they walk off under the right off into the sunset together. Why can't it work? Just I mean, the rationale's there, right? It's like L Lane wasn't mature enough for us at the time. He's right. really changed now. I mean, that's right. I mean, if you just... want the, you want the best offensive mind out there, he would embrace. I mean, you talk about LA, what they're looking for. Give me the sunglasses. Give me the like, let his hair grow out a little bit longer. He's still got that sun bleached hair. Like he's, he's in good shape now. Yeah, he's there. He's got history. Like they always want a USC guy. Yeah, I think you could mend Photos. those fences. Photos Do you of want to Lane see and play Traveler a on a yacht together? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I don't know what defensively that could be, but I just I think that if they're able to at USC, I feel like Lane Kiffin would be able to recruit the kind of defensive talent to where they could still be solid there. But I don't. I, I honestly, I think that's a. I think it's a good candidate, and if you can get past the history, I think it would make a lot of sense. 
another name that's come up that I don't think would get, I, I wonder what the reaction it would be, but this is the one coach that I feel like reminds me the most of a young Pete Carroll, as far as just the energy that they bring PJ Fleck. He's on the odds board. I don't know how much value we put in the odds boards as they are, you know, put together on September 14th or whatever, but PJ Fleck was higher on the betting odds board yesterday than I was giving him a shot when I started mm-hmm. putting together my handful of candidates. But I, I mean, like, could happen for sure. I, yeah, because I think that he would bring a more physical style of offense, kind of like what Pete Carroll always loved to do. And I think he's got that same kind of, yeah, let's go, you know, kind of rah rah energy 24 7 that Pete Carroll had that I think plays well in Southern California, at least better than it does in maybe some other places around the country. So I, I think that that I don't think he's at the top of the list, but I do think he is a name to be considered. Yes. Does don't, he don't keep, lose to Colorado this weekend? Don't lose does, to Colorado. Does he keep the tie with the pullover? <laughs> I don't think you can oh. do that in the Coliseum. That's not the same as doing it at Western Michigan or at Minnesota. I don't know. I mean, it's it has been getting hotter in Southern California. There's not as many 68 degree days. There's a lot more 88 degree days. So you might be onto something there. You can grow that boat out in the Pacific. you can Uh, row in the pacific because it is called the pacific because it is calmer than the atlantic mm -hmm. Mm. Hmm. i i don't think i knew that is that true that's why it's wow calmer waters are in the not everywhere but for by and large if you if you ever sail across the atlantic and sail across the pacific you'll notice a difference well, I, we don't need to even talk about sailing. We can just talk about something that three of us know very well, which is where all the hurricanes come from. And the hurricanes come from the Atlantic. <laughs> yes. And they come. Well, they're, and they called, just... they're called tsunamis and typhoons in the Pacific. Jim. They just have different <laughs> names. They still have them. <laughs> uh, all right. Coming up on Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. It will be week three locks live. You can join us at youtube.com slash cover three. And if you are a subscriber, you will get the locks pod at the normal time uh, right around your lunch break, hopefully to be able to get you all set for the college football weekend ahead. You can follow him on Twitter at Bud Elliott three. You can follow him at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Danny Canell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. For the movie that hits like a bus in a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made it PG 13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.